Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Ag Innovation News Podcast, presented by the Agricultural Utilization Research Institute of Minnesota. I'm Dan Scogan, your host for the Ag Innovation News Podcast. Now, guests on this program will shed light on innovations in value-added agriculture, highlight important voices and work that's being done throughout the Minnesota ag sector, and educate the public about resources and organizations that support Minnesota agriculture. Today is a non-podcast because today we'll be visiting with Gwen Williams and Tahir Sandhu about the Artesian Non-Bakery, what it is, how it came to be, and what they produce, and how you can find their products. Gwen, we're going to start with a little bit of a biographical background on you, Tahar. I hope that you will weigh in as well, but tell us a little bit about yourself and the road that brought you to today and the Artisan Non-Bakery. I grew up in Minnesota around the Twin Cities metro, and then I met my life partner and now my business partner, Tahir, in Illinois, and we had reached a point in our life where we wanted to move back to be close to some older relatives that I have in Minnesota. So we were looking for a business and we decided we were going to explore something that we both had developed an interest in, and that was local small food production and local food markets. So that's kind of how we got our start. Tahir, what's your background? And I got to ask, how did you two find each other? Well, we met in Illinois, like she said, you know, in the grad school at Illinois State University. And we spent some time there working, you know, in the uh, graduate school. And then we decided to move back to Minnesota. And here we wanted to take our time and not do anything foolish except what we ended up doing now. Tahir, are you saying that this may be foolish? (laughs) We haven't concluded that yet, you know. We are beginning to think about it, you know, over time as, as, as we go into it. This thing was just like, you know, a hobby of ours, just create meals for ourselves in our kitchen. And gradually we discovered, you know, the more we make interesting meals for ourselves, the more we find the pivot of that thing is, is, is the bread. And slowly we discovered that bread can not only be made in our personal kitchen, but it can be maybe made in a professional kitchen. And we gave ourselves a little trial and error type of experience by making bread in our own kitchen and selling it in the farmer's market. And people liked that a lot. And then we looked into how to set up a professional kitchen. And we ended up making this small little bakery in St. Joseph about 10 years ago now, I would say. And the response was very nice for retail and for farmer's market. And gradually, we found ourselves deeper into this making of bread. And now we have a larger bakery than we did in St. Joseph. And we are making a lot of bread every day. So that's, that's the kind of thing, you know, that we have here from a personal hobby and domestic kitchen to a commercial bakery, you know. And Gwen, Tahir may have answered the question, but really you came into this with very little background or training or experience in trying to set something like this up, but it was just a desire to do it and a love for the product. Is that accurate? Yeah, that's a good way to put it. Our background and training is in the humanities. So (laughs) so for all humanities majors out there, you may one day find yourself working far afield from that. And, you know, we really did enjoy baking and cooking certain things. 
For me, I always enjoy baking bread and also baking cobblers and pies, things that would be using fresh fruit. And my husband's a magnificent cook. And so now he's a magnificent baker of bread as well. So yeah, you could say this is what brought us into this business. I'm going to come back to some of that delicious fruits and pies and other things that you like to cook. But what we're talking about, the center point of our conversation today is called naan. And this is N-A-A-N. And tell me about that particular type of bread and why was that your choice of food to develop and bring to the market? The thing is, this naan is a kind of, you know, bread that people eat all over the world in in societies that are now known as maybe Asian societies. And it's a kind of bread that you just eat when you want to have a nice bread. And I knew how to make it from where I grew up in Pakistan. So I knew how to make the bread. We tried it in a couple of different ways at home, like I said, you know, but the results were not as spectacular as when we wanted to use the traditional oven that's called tandoor. So tandoor was very popular when we moved here in Minnesota about 10 years ago. Everybody would talk about, you know, tandoori bread, tandoori breads. And I'm like, you know what? We know how to make it and it's, it's, it's a delicious bread. So we had a friend who had a small little deli here at the campus of St. Cloud State University. And he had a tandoor to make the bread and sell it with his products or no. And we tried making this bread in his tandoor and the results were as expected. Remarkable. So we took that bread again and again to our friends who would talk about the tandoori bread, but never had the experience to make it. They appreciated, you know, the quality and taste of the bread. And we just thought that that was it. There is a market and there are people who can appreciate the the quality and the taste of the bread. And we got tools to make it. But tandoor, we would not possibly make it in that one because that's a very cumbersome process to bake the bread in that clay oven. So then we searched for more modern and and computerized and cleaner tools, you know, and we found one oven made by a German company, you know, here in Minnesota, and they would sell it to anybody who, who wanted to set up, you know, a small little bakery, and that just put the equation, you know, squarely in our hand. We had the cleaner tools and the market and interest and everything, you know, fell in place. I can add, we initially felt like maybe there would be enough demand among people who wanted to shop in a European style shopping. So you shop for your groceries for the day. And we hoped it would include the fresh hot naan. And for some people it did, but most people in our lives here are not really situated in a way where where you're going grocery shopping every day. And soon we found inquiries from grocery stores, specifically the Wedge Community Co-op in Minneapolis, that wanted us to package our non, label it, and they wanted to turn around and sell it. And so we shifted our business away from thinking retail hot bread to go as if people were coming to a tandoor shop and getting fresh bread. So we shifted that to wholesale. And now today, the vast majority of our business is through our wholesale grocery stores. Because really bread in its best form is that fresh warm bread, isn't it? I mean, I'm from Scandinavian heritage and we like bread at every meal, but anytime it's fresh and warm and just out of the oven, I mean, that is the best. That is the best. Yes. And you know, we have some devoted customers now going on 
a few years. The cuisines that they're eating in their home have nothing to do with Pakistani cuisine. And they're just buying our naan and they've fallen in love with our naan solely because it is fresh. So even being sold the very next day, let's say at a grocery store, there's still an unmistakable aroma to the bread when you open that bag. We will come into our bakery and open the door and this fresh bread aroma just hits you, even if we have not been baking all night, but just have freshly baked bread here. Let me ask about the ingredients a little bit without giving away all your trade secrets, but typically it's wheat flour and yeast. What's different about naan? Most breads that we make here are plain breads with uh, yeast, flour, water, and salt. That's the essential ingredients. But in uh, naan bread, what you do is you let the dough ferment with yogurt and milk in it also. So it's, it's yeast, flour, yogurt, and milk. And once it's fermented together over time, it just becomes very airy and soft and fluffy to make the breads with. So what's different about naan is the addition of dairy in it. Tahir, I need to ask if you're using that fermentation and yogurt is that historically something that came out of Pakistan? Was it done that way for a reason? I could answer from what I know of uh, the process in Pakistan, but then there would be people to take issue with from Afghanistan and Iran and Turkey and other parts, you know? <laughs> so I don't know where to stop. But I think what happened is over time, you know, when before this refrigeration business, you know, that was the only method people had that things ferment together to, to preserve them you know, somehow. So if, if you had leftover dairy and flour together, you just let it ferment overnight and it became soft and gushy and you just made bread out of it. The leftover created larger batches out of it, just like the sourdough. And one of the shining pieces that come out of the non bakery has a garlic component. Is that correct? Yes, that's our strange product because when we started, one of us thought, you know, that was not a good idea to make that bread because we just wanted to make only one kind, the plain bread. That's it, the plain naan. But somehow, you know, when I came here in 92, what I discovered was the dried up garlic everywhere in stores, which I had never seen in Pakistan, you know, and I thought that was an interesting product that you have garlic powder and you just kind of, you know, mix that with your wet ingredients to create the aroma and the taste. So I thought if that dry ingredient could be mixed in the dough, that would make an interesting, you know, garlic toast type of bread. So I insisted, no, we make garlic naan also. And now, surprisingly, that's one of our best sellers. And I was the one who said, no, that's not really a traditional variety of bread in Pakistan, so let's not make it. And it's amusing. That's not unusual for entrepreneurs to sometimes find something that they weren't even looking for. That's true. Well, and that's like we have a cranberry naan that basically we have our fermented dough and it's risen and ready to roll. And we fold in dried cranberries. And that has become our most popular of the nuns that we like to call the fruitopians because they have fruit in them. It sells very well, in particular up here in the St. Cloud area. And I think part of its appeal is because cranberry bread can be eaten with something savory or it can be eaten with something sweet. It's a very nice fruit. We're going to find out more about other products that you create 
at the Artisan Non-Bakery. And I also want to get into some of the potential health benefits, how you use the non-breads, and what other products you might offer. But first, I want to remind our listeners that you're listening to the Egg Innovation News Podcast, presented by the Agricultural Utilization Research Institute of Minnesota. And our guests today are Gwen Williams and Tair Sandu. They are from the Artisan Non-Bakery in the St. Cloud area, and they make this delicious non-bread, N-A-A-N, and it has a Pakistani root, and now it's available to you, the public, as well. And we're learning all about non and how AURI maybe cooperated with their business to create some product. And Gwen, let's go to that first before we talk about some of the other specialty products that you offer. But AURI and the Artisan Non-Bakery entered into a pilot project that involved Kernza. Tell me a little bit about that. We did a pilot project, yes, with AURI, and that was to explore potential markets for Kernza perennial grain. And so we were supplied the Kernza flour and we made some terrific naan and we also made a par-baked pizza crust. Then we ended up selling at the St. Cloud area farmer's market. We had such good reception with it and the story of Kernza and the potential that perennial grains hold for soil health as well as cleaning and maintaining clean water was so appealing to customers that I decided, no, my wholesale customers, in particular my food co-ops, that they have probably a lot of co-op members who share those kinds of interests in clean water and newer ways of farming, as well as having a whole grain bread. And what we did with our Kearns Anon, since we talked about dairy and yogurt earlier, is we decided to make that a non-dairy non and as a replacement of a sort for maybe some of the texture, certainly the fat, we decided to use smoothie sunflower oil and therefore have a non-dairy non that people keeping vegetarian and vegan diets could also enjoy. And another AURI client that we helped develop some product at one time as well. Yes, I saw that and I was so fascinated by them and by their work with you. And, you know, we've used their sunflower oil since the beginning. We found them at the farmer's market where we were first selling our non. And we just have been quite impressed with their product. And it has also replaced the use of butter in a couple of other recipes that my husband is is working with and playing around with. I know there's quite a few people that are excited about Kernza, the perennial winter wheat, and the opportunity to work it into our recipes and create new products with it. How was it to work with in the non-products? It was not that much different than working with a annual whole grain wheat flour. So if people had experience baking with whole grain flours, or maybe even some of the non-gluten flours, say rice, rice flour, or potato flour, you have to make some adjustments and, and know the adjustments that you want to make. But for our products, basically all of our breads are, are specialty flat breads. The characteristic of Kernza having a different gluten profile, you would say. That didn't affect us, you know, because we're not after these big, puffy, six-inch high loaves bread. It's flat bread. 
So we didn't see much difference, basically. I want to talk a little bit about potential health benefits. I don't know that you make any claims with NON, but have you had research done on the potential health benefits of using NON as opposed to maybe a traditional bread? Well, we haven't had any rigorous tests done, scientific tests. However, based on nutritional facts, labeling, and requirements about what can be claimed and what cannot be claimed on labels, I'm happy to say that many of our dairy non are pretty good sources of iron and protein. And I believe that comes from a combination of things. One is the whole milk and then the yogurt that's used, but as well as our main, our main flour of choice that we use in the bakery. On a, on a different level, it's kind of a fun story I like to remember and tell when I get a chance, and it's about health benefits. We have had some customers that are toddlers and their mom or dad. And why I put the toddlers first is we have some kids that absolutely love our naan. And they will just eat the naan as if they were eating a giant candy bar. We had one mom who bought her three-year-old for his, for his birthday. She bought him a bag of playing on you know she's like I don't have to make the birthday cake and he loves the naan and he sat down on the grass and tore open the bread and and just started eating it so in the sense of having a very very good bread as a choice for a snack I don't want to get in any trouble and name some of my favorite junk food snacks but there's a benefit to eating something more wholesome like a freshly baked bread Maybe we just suggest that it is a good alternative to some of your traditional snacks. Yes. <laughs> Tahir, I want to talk a little bit about sustainability and your desire to be sustainable and to use products that are sustainable through a process that is sustainable. And it sounds like you and Gwen give that some thought as you go through the process. Yes, we did. And there are many things that I think we would like to talk about. But what I have discovered, I think, about sustainability in this pilot with Ori and our business for the past 10 years is that you are sustainable if there are people to make it sustainable. Because when it comes to infrastructure and ingredient and clean energy and transportation, all those are big picture problems. But then the small picture problems are that if the infrastructure is there and ingredients are there, transport is there, but nobody actually makes them into edible products, how do you sustain that? You cannot be be in the marketplace if, if there are not enough people to actually make products. So I think the key to our sustainability in this very small micro business that we are in and other food makers that we know of in Minneapolis and St. Cloud, I think the biggest question of sustainability is who is going to make it sustainable? Is there a core number of people who are going to stand up and keep working or we are going to pass the work to our best cousins known as machines and, and, and robots? So machines and robots are not going to make fresh bread on a smaller scale because that's that's not where they are most effective. 
they are most effective when, when things are, you know, large scale. So sustainability and small scale businesses like ourselves, I think the, the core of the problem there is the human element. That's a great answer. And I want to follow up with that, Gwen and Tahir. There's somebody listening today that has been thinking about becoming an entrepreneur, maybe moving into the food business somehow. What advice would you give them or what should they know before they open that door and take that first step? See, that's that's a tough one. Because if I say don't get into small businesses, that would be bad for me and for them also, right? <laughs> So I think everybody will meet their own own destiny, you know, as as they get into their, their own imagination and, and desires to to do things. But I think in the small frame of things, the thing that most is needed again is some sort of clarity about where would you take it, who would actually buy it. So maybe connecting with your potential buyers is, is, is the key in a small business. You know, If you know your buyers and you are willing to and you are able to give them what they want, then I think it's not a bad experience to be a small entrepreneur and just do the work to, to satisfy your buyers. But if you don't know your buyers and you just have a dream of making a national sustainable chain of businesses, then I think that may not be advisable. Because things don't really happen because you, you think about them. You also make them happen for you and people around you. Tyre, I think you hit on one of the most overlooked points that entrepreneurs go through, and that is, who is my end user? Who's the last person that's going to handle my product? Because as you found out, you like to make the bread, the non-bread. You like to experiment with different tastes and different products. But if you haven't thought about who your end user is, Who's going to buy it? Right. I think that's that's where we had a lucky break, I would say. You know, we found our end user by chance and by some thinking and, and effort also, you know. And that was the wholesale buyers. Because we had thought that making food in, in a small setting and selling it fresh may be a very good experience as a spectacle for the buyer. If people see how the bread is being made, they may stay around, talk about stuff and buy the bread. But that never materialized. So what we discovered was, you know what, there's a wholesale buyer actually who would appreciate our effort and they'll say, you know, you keep making it, we'll scoop it up. So we we concentrated on making bread for the wholesale buyer very early on. And that paid off over time and that kept us in the business for so long, I would say, you know. Gwen, I look at your webpage and I see garlic, I see sweet potato, I see Kernza. Tell me about some of the products that you will offer or do offer to the public. What are some of the more interesting ones that you have for sale right now? In bakery, we sell sweet potato pie and blueberry pie. And we've got tea cakes that we're making and a couple of other things on the horizon. So we have some in bakery things that we sell here. On the wholesale side, we have expanded at the request of our customers, as well as at the request of an unnamed company that made hummus, and they were looking for a local source for pocket pita. But we had requests to branch off and make other flatbreads, and so we also make pocket pitas, and most recently in, in January, we started making a East African-style chapati. We have many East African small grocery stores here here in St. Cloud, and there was some interest 
among the grocers to get some fresh bread made, in particular if their store was not connected with a restaurant. We do variety of naan. We would love to resurrect some of our favorite naan, and one is either called a Kashmiri naan or, or Peshawar naan, depending on where you're from or your point of reference. And that includes like pistachios, sugar, coconut, golden raisins, and it's quite magnificent. Now, our cheese naans we sell in the bakery and garlic parmesan, garlic mozzarella, and then one we call Henry's Pleasure Cruise. And we named that naan after a guy we know named Henry, who it was his idea to combine gouda and dried rosemary in a naan. And boy, that may be my favorite naan coming out of the oven. It's just a magnificent aroma. And so Henry had studied economics. He was an economics major at St. John's University. So we gave him a choice. We said, Henry, we can name this non Henry's Pleasure Cruise, or we can name it the Wealth of Nations. What would you like? <laughs> and he chose, he chose the Pleasure Cruise. Tahir, where is this company in five to 10 years? That's a good question. See, we were in a very small 400 square feet facility when we started. Now we are in about 1,600. I would say in five years, it could be another facility of the same size. Or in this facility, we may have 24-7 bread making. And Gwen, where can they find your product? What's the easiest way to get more information on non? Our website, we maintain a current list of grocery stores that carry our products. And a most recent addition, I'll just put a plug because they started two weeks ago. We were so excited. The Minnesota Market Co-ops in St. Paul, they have three locations. But basically, all of the food co-ops in the Twin Cities metro now, St. Paul and Minneapolis, they carry our non and then Lunds and Byerly stores. Of course, people can order online directly from us and pick up the brand directly from the bakery. And the online webpage is what? Artisannon.com. A-R-T-I-S-A-N-N-A-A-N.com. I wish we would have been able to do this in person because you two sound like you're fun. Oh, well, thank you. <laughs> you are generous. You're generous. <laughs> <laughs> and you are very excited about your product, and I think you've stumbled on something that other people are excited about as well. A lot of people have given us their business for so long. I believe there's interest out there. Well, unfortunately for today anyway, we are out of time, but I would encourage people to ask about non in their local grocery stores to see if it's available. Look for it on the shelves or go to the webpage, which is Artisan Non and you'll be able to Google it there and find their products and order it up yourself online. I want to thank Gwen Williams and Tahir Sandhu for spending some time with me today. Thanks so much. Thank you so much. Thank you, Dan. And I want to thank our listeners for joining us today and listening to the Egg Innovation News podcast as well, presented by the Agricultural Utilization Research Institute of Minnesota. Thanks to my podcast crew of one, it's Lisa Martinez, AURI Communications Coordinator and Editor of this production. To learn more about AURI, visit auri.org.